All right, friends. If you're around, let me know. Just curious. Um, just curious to see if this is working. I think the weather has uh, decided to go against me here. Let's see. All right. Are we working? That is my wife in the background. She's awesome. She's on. That's great. I have a couple people that have logged on again. As you start rolling in, this is, yes, Shirley, this is take two. That first one was a very long outtake. Love it. Let's see. Uh, let's see what's going on. That, yeah, the first one was just the extended edition. Um, we'll add it to this one. I don't know what we'll do. But I hope that you're all doing well. Thank you for being so patient. Four people have found us again. That's great. That means not everything is hopeless. I guess, like I was saying, I think the uh, I think the weather has worked against us this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and give you an abbreviated version of uh, of the message here. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully we can get this going. Shirley, I think you're right. We want to make sure that this message gets out. Absolutely. And here's the other thing. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our scripture for the morning one more time. And hopefully that this video will work. It's, like I said, this is take two. Hopefully you can tune in and find us. Uh, like I said, the weather seems to have betrayed us. Nevertheless, here we are, and if you saw the first part and you thought of some questions, feel free to uh, jot those down, put them in the comments, or email me. We'll uh, try and answer some of those, but we'll definitely do it Tuesday, if not today. And what I'm going to do is read the scripture for this morning, and what we'll do is make sure that I give an abbreviated version of the message that I was going to give, so that way you all have something to uh, chew on uh, as we approach Tuesday. So let's uh, let's get started with the scripture here. Kayla read it the first time, but she's uh, preoccupied in making sure things are working for us. Thank you, Kayla. So our reading today is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Every scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. Awesome. So what I was saying earlier is that this scripture is kind of like one of those essential things that a lot of churches, a lot of movements have said, this is why we submit to the Bible and why we view it as an authority. So I'm hoping more than anything that we can talk about in this new series what it means to be people who believe the Bible, who follow it, and who love it. And that will be a continuation of the renewal uh, that we're seeking, that we, that we started the past two weeks. It begins with prayer, but it also begins with reading Scripture through fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. So here's, uh, here's the deal this morning. We are really hoping that this new series will take us 
uh, into a place where we can ask good, thoughtful questions, but also just to ask any question. And what we're going to do is have an opportunity at the end of this message, but especially on Tuesday nights at 830 to just dive into some of the questions that we've always wanted to ask about the Bible. And some of those we will have answers to and others we're probably going to say, I don't know, but here's what I suspect. And that's a perfectly acceptable response. And it's also okay to say, you know what? I don't know that I fully agree yet. And that's okay. That's part of discipleship is finding those areas where we can grow as not only students of the Bible, but people who submit to it and love it. So it's not just something we study. It's something that we, it's almost like the air we breathe. It just becomes a part of our lives that we can't miss because we love it. Because we know that this is the story that God has been telling from the beginning. So with that said, I'm going to share with you uh, some of the things that we have uh, that we've gone over in the first uh, take on this. But I'm going to go ahead and repeat myself. So if you've seen it once, sorry for the repeat. But I think that some of this is so important because we want to talk about that keyword authority. Authority is something in our culture that is deeply ingrained within us, mostly because we view our own selves as, as the authority on all matters of life. Let me explain that a little more clearly, hopefully. We are our own authority. We don't usually, as a culture, I'm not talking about individuals, but I'm talking about as a culture, we don't look to outside sources to give us expertise or authority on matters of morals, on matters of government, whatever the case may be, we are individuals. And because we love being individuals, which is also a good thing, by the way, but because we are so focused on being individuals, we view ourselves as the authority in all matters of life. And what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the European Enlightenment. It's this movement that happened in the 18th century that sought to correct some of the abuse of power that was happening in government and churches and employers whatever the case may be they want they sought a way out of those power structures that were being mishandled mismanaged and manipulated they wanted to make sure that people were heard and that people were treated fairly and right and in a lot of ways that's a noble cause there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But here's what happened. We have this one side of the pendulum where there's this abuse of power. And then we swing to the other side where it's like, there's no authority except myself. I set the rules. I set the morals. It's all about me. And the problem is the enlightenment had so much momentum that it just swung so quickly that we don't trust outside authorities. And you might be thinking, well, this happened in Europe. What does that have to do with our culture, which is America? And I would suggest to you that America is a child of the European Enlightenment. Um, everything that was said in the Enlightenment, just think about this, for example, all the freedoms that we pursue here in the United States are probably a result of what people were talking about in Europe. And we, we can kind of know this because a lot of the founding fathers were strongly influenced by the philosophers of the Enlightenment, such as John Locke, uh, Rene Descartes, 
and folks like that. And what we want to do is really investigate as a culture first, because we live in America, that's our culture. How do we view authority? And where did we come from on that view? Let me start with the origins of kind of our view on authority with Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers. He uh, He's a very interesting guy. He was not necessarily a Christian, but he was a deist. And deists believe this idea that God made everything in the world, but he's not involved in the world. And one of the things we'll talk about, especially next week, I'll have more to say about deism, but that's not the same as the Christian Bible. It's just flat out not the same. We have to come to terms with the fact that deism and Christianity are not two sides of the same coin because we believe in a God who is present and at work in the world. So we have to be willing to say, you know what, like whatever good intentions there were there, it's just not the same as what the Bible teaches. So, but I'm not here to moralize what he believes versus what we believe. It's more, I just want to give you the context for where he's coming from. And I, he gives us a classic example of how a lot of us view authority today. And it doesn't matter what your political background, your cultural background is. If you live, if you've lived in America for a little while, you've probably been shaped by this. And let me just share with you what Thomas Jefferson sought out to do because he was interested in the Bible, especially the new Testament, but he did this. He decided to make his own version of scripture in 1804. And what he did is he took the new Testament and he took something sharp, like a pen knife or some or a pair of scissors. And he decided that he was going to cut out the things that he thought were probably true of the historical Jesus and omit or leave out the things that there's no way that could have happened in our world because the enlightenment was all about reason and science and reason and science did not allow for the feeding of the 5,000 to happen or the resurrect the bodily resurrection of Jesus to happen. So what he would do is he would cut out the parts that he thought were probably true. He pasted them in another book and he would later release his 46 page version of the new Testament called the philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. And that right there is a classic view of what happens when we don't think there is an outside authority. It's only within us. He says this very, uh, very particularly. My intention was the result of a life of inquiry and reflection. There you go. That's reason and science. And very different from that anti-Christian system imputed to me by those who know nothing of my opinions. My opinions. They don't know my opinions. So therefore, I'm going to make my own version of this authority. And this morning, I'm not here to tell you what's important to believe about the founding of America. That's not really my, my field. Um, but what I am here to say is that our culture in particular has its own issues with authority. Just like there might be such thing in other parts of the world as tyranny, we all seek 
this extreme autonomy, this self-fulfillment. We're all about our own authority to the point that it's hard for us to imagine submitting to an outside authority. Here's the here's where this becomes super relevant today and to our series. While we might be obsessed with our independence, with our, and I'm talking about individuals, not as a country, our individual independence and our autonomy and our ability for unlimited choices that we can't imagine submitting to an outside authority like the Bible. And especially to the one that the Bible testifies about, and his name is Jesus. That's where we find this contention. That's where we find this controversy almost, that the Bible claims to have authority. We just read about that in 2 Timothy in our lives. And somehow, some way, we have to reconcile the fact that there is an outside authority and his name is Jesus and he is at the right hand of God. And that's exactly what the Bible testifies to. And the Bible has authority because it is a witness to that. And more than anything today and ongoing through this 10-week series, I want us to really dive deep and ask those questions. Ask the hard questions too. This is not just, I, I have this academic interest, so to speak, and I want to know about the reliability of the Bible. You're allowed to ask those questions, but what I've learned more and more is that in our culture, because we don't know how to deal with outside authority and seeing a moral compass outside of ourselves, that it's really good for us to ask the questions that feel like they are boiling up within us. Because I really think that we're going to discover that the Bible is both controversial and it's refreshing. It's both. It's never just one. It's amazing to me that the Bible challenges my own opinions all the time. I can tell you with confidence that the Bible has changed my opinions multiple times in my life. And not just my opinions up here, but in the things I actually do in my life. The Bible has changed so much for me. And I hope that it has for you too. But we also have to realize that the Bible is not just an academic book that sits on our bookshelves, but rather it is this life-giving story that tells, yes, a lot about history. And it tells us a lot about the way things are. But it also today, here and now, can change us. It gives us a sense of who this God is that is over the world. The fact that he is deeply involved in the way the world works and how he plans to rescue a world that is broken. That's what the Bible does. And to me, that is worth celebrating. That is authority that we want to submit to. And I know that for some of us, it's like, I have major trust issues. I can't imagine submitting to some, some old book. And for others of us, it might be like, well, I do submit to this book, but only my version of it, my interpretation of it is the only way to go about it. And I want to just say this, the Bible doesn't change 
but the way we read it sometimes does because the Holy Spirit is alive and active in us. So this series is going to take us through three key doctrines throughout the Bible, and none of them are without controversy. All of them are, are definitely, um, definitely things that can be controversial, but I don't want it to stop there. I want to suggest that these three doctrines, these three theological points that the Bible really sets out to make, the essential things, can also be life-giving. These three things, and let me tell you what they are. It's going to take us 10 weeks to go over them, so keep your questions coming. But here it goes. There's one God, there's one people of God, and there is one future for God's people. I'll just say that one more time. There is one God, there is one people of God, and there is one future for God's people. And this stretches from the Old Testament to the New Testament into today that those three truths have not changed. And those are the three things. Those are going to be the lenses through which we look at the Bible and say, what is really important here? And how can I live my life in response to that? So this morning, I know that there was a lot going on here. Thank you for being so patient, for listening, and you know, for tuning in again if you did. Bless you for that. Um, I really want us to just ask ourselves if the Bible has authority in our lives, what difference does it make? Why should I care? And I want to, I want to just say this. I know that a lot of us can distrust the Bible uh, because there are some things in there that are downright confusing. Some of them might be offensive to what we think is true of the world classic example is when God orders the people of Israel to go in to the promised land and slaughter different people groups. Most of us don't know what to do with that. In fact, I'm not even going to pretend I know the answer to that problem. It's crazy. I don't want to give simple solutions and I don't want you to walk away thinking, well, that doesn't satisfy me. Rather, I want us to be people who investigate deeply the love of God in all of those passages. And even to say, you know what? I have questions. I'm going to ask them on Tuesday nights. And even if I or one of the elders or someone on the leadership team gives an answer and you're like, I still don't get it. That's okay. That doesn't make you any less a Christian to ask questions. It doesn't make you any less a Christian to say that, this doesn't make sense, and frankly, it scares me. That does not make you any less a Christian. It just means you're being honest, and then you're reading the text, and you're letting it do work in your life. Because here's the thing. As I was saying earlier, the Bible is not an academic book for your shelf. It is something that will change you the more and more you read it. As, uh, as one author put it, the Bible exposes a deep magic within the world. I'm not talking about sorcery or witchcraft or anything like that. I'm saying it exposes that there is something more to life than what we just see on an everyday basis. Yes. There's something so much more to life 
than what we read about in the headlines. There's so much more to life than what we see in the tabloids when we're walking through the grocery store. If you're still going, there's so much more to life than the lies that Satan throws at us. And the Bible has this way, no matter how many times you read it, it has this way of refreshing us and giving us life again. It will give you life. So I just want to offer you this morning a chance to just think about some of the questions you have. What, like for example, let me, let me just give you a question to, to ponder. If the Bible has authority in my life, do I follow it all literally? Do I have to be rigid about following it? Are there parts of it that, you know, I don't have to follow anymore because it's part of the old covenant? Think of those types of questions because they're all valid. And the more and more we ask questions, the better and better we will become readers of scripture. And the more and more we will see God at work in our lives. But to hold those questions in and never ask them, never discuss them, is only going to keep us from knowing God that much better. And I'll tell you this, as the preaching minister at Central Church of Christ, I ask questions all the time. You can ask my wife. I have questions about the Bible constantly. Because what I've discovered is, man, every time I pick up that book, something new happens. I've read some of the same passages over and over again. And one of my favorites, 1 Corinthians 15. My goodness, every time I read it, something new jumps out to me. Something new about the future and the resurrection that's to come jumps out to me. That's why I want us to just ask those questions. Because I'm not sure, for example, what Ephesians 5.5 means. When God, sorry, when Paul talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ, I thought there was one and the same. And that's what I ended up doing a seminary paper on. I still have questions about that. But here's the thing it's not about having all of our questions answered. Sometimes it's just about asking them and being vulnerable enough to say, I don't know. Because I really believe that God meets us in that place. I believe that he will meet you in that place of question. And it's not about everybody reaching agreement. It's simply about that starting point of asking that question. Because the more and more we ask those questions, this is my main point. The more and more we will realize the authority of scripture in our lives. But to just leave it and never ask any more questions is to say that it actually doesn't have authority in our lives. To say that I have figured it out, I don't need to ask any more questions. Scripture doesn't have authority in that person's life. But the people who are humble and going to ask those questions, those are the people who will ultimately see that this word of God, this mysterious book called the Bible, actually has authority in their lives and not only that but it points to who they really serve his name is jesus he is on the throne at the right hand of god so my challenge to you today 
is not just to ask me questions personally, but if there's someone in your house or someone that you can Skype or FaceTime and ask some of those questions to, I encourage you to do that. It's not about asking questions of me or the leadership team. That's not really what this is about. It's starting to ask those questions. And even if it's as simple as journaling your questions down and then seeking to know God better through his word, praise God for that. Do it. Highly, highly commend you to do that. But also, I love discussion. And I think that there are a lot of good questions out there that people are probably stewing on. And I want to invite you um, every week during this sermon series called Through the Story. We are going to have a Tuesday night 830 Zoom meeting. And we're going to do question and answer. And we're going to allow people to ask the questions that they really, really struggle with. So I want you to get those questions ready. And I'm going to take a couple minutes now. If there are any more questions, um, we're going to look at them now. But if not, I'm going to send out an email later today. And you will be able to see what, uh, what exactly we're going to do on Tuesday nights. It's only going to be an hour long, by the way. It's not going to go on indefinitely because it's late for some people. But we'll get a chance to ask the questions that really matter to us and how we want to know God better. And we'll do, we'll discover that together. So for example, um, I didn't ask her to do this, by the way, she just did this on her own. My wife asks, uh, how do we deal with war in scripture? If God is a God of peace, it's a really good question. Um, and I would say, I'm going to give you a short answer. And then I might explore this a little bit more with everybody on Tuesday night. But one of the important things when asking these questions is to define the terms uh, very, very carefully. And one of the things I would say is that, what, what do we mean by peace? Because peace can mean a couple things. Peace can be simply that there is no conflict present. Um, in other words, that there is no war happening. So if God is a God who ultimately wants no war, how do we deal with the fact that the Old Testament especially, but even some instances in the New Testament reflect on this, that there is war in the world and that God has you know, commissioned his people to do that, especially in the Old Testament. And I would say this. We have to read the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. We do not disregard the Old Testament. That's key number one. We cannot disregard the Old Testament. But also, I would say this, because we have the New Testament, we now have the ability to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And here's why. And it goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus said that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament scriptures. To be the Christ, to be the Messiah, means that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's goals. So, for example, let me just say this one little bit, and then I'm going to wrap up here. But Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, which includes all the wars and all the crazy things, all the crazy laws that we see in the Torah. But what's, what's really happening is this. 
let me give you a classic example, actually, that the Israelites went in in Deuteronomy 20, I believe, to go and take the land of Canaan and to get rid of the peoples that lived within them. Very controversial. Uh, it just it smells of genocide. So how is this Jesus connected with that God who ordered that to happen? And again, this is just my brief interpretation of it, but I have to read that passage now in light of what Jesus has accomplished because Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And the point is this. Um, there's a lot to be said here, but just as Israel entered the promised land and took it over, and then they lived for that one God, which is going to be the first point we cover starting next Sunday, they lived for that one God. This is what it means. It means that Jesus, having accomplished the second exodus, because the people of God in the Old Testament came into the promised land after the exodus, and then Jesus in the New Testament is fulfilling this exodus, and he's leading us to the ultimate exodus. It means that now the promised land is not just the land of Israel uh, located um, you know, several thousand miles east of us today. It means that if Jesus accomplished the ultimate exodus, that the whole world is the promised land. It means that the whole world we see is the promised land and we go out into the world, not to necessarily conquer it, but to be people of redemption and to be people who bring that redemption to every part of the world. So I really, I really think that there's a lot to be said there. Um, I'm realizing like this is going to take a long time to cover. But I want to just uh, read some of the comments here just to make sure that I am uh, caught up on what everybody's thinking here. Very good. I love what Katie said, by the way. Um, she said, I don't think we'll be able to have absence of conflict until all people acknowledge and submit themselves to the same authority. And that's really hard in a culture where everybody is their own authority. It's very difficult. And that's one of the things that as Christians, believe it or not, that's one of the things that we are called to step into the culture and work out. We are called to step into the culture and work this out because we are redeemed people. We want to testify to that redemption to everybody else. Um, but nevertheless, gosh, what a great question. I, I suspect more of those things are coming around the corner and I would love it. If, uh, if you guys would keep those questions coming, not for my sake, but especially for others, because what you're thinking might be exactly what someone else is thinking. And if we can have that discussion, we can, we can grow together. By no means do I have all the answers or hold them all. I'm just one guy with a set of opinions. Uh, but nevertheless, we submit to the authority of Scripture that testifies to the authority of the Lord Jesus. So with that, I want to end with a prayer. And I hope that that little snippet gave you something to think about and maybe will lead to more questions. Tuesday nights, 8.30 on Zoom. There'll be an email going out later today with some more details. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the Bible. 
We thank you for scripture. Um, we don't want to be people who necessarily come at it as if we're in a lab and we are the ones dissecting scripture. But rather, I think that we need to be on the operating table and let scripture do its work on us and heal us and redeem us and fix us. So God, that's what it means to submit to the authority of scripture. It's not about us going in and fixing the Bible, but rather letting the Bible do its work on us because it is your word. And we trust that the words within it are true, that they're good to teach others and they're good for authority within the church. So God, we just lay down all of our assumptions, especially as we dive into this series. And I hope that this introduction uh, can give some hope and maybe generate some questions. Uh, and God, I just pray that our church can continue to be a place of grace and honesty and truth. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for engaging. And uh, wow, jump, jumped ahead another 30 minutes. If you tuned in twice, you're amazing. And uh, I really hope that we can generate some good questions about the Bible, about what some of the key ideas in it are. So don't hesitate. If you have those questions, let's hear them. Let's talk about them together. You're not going to come into a place where you're going to be judged for asking your questions. And I hope that, again, you heard me say, as the preacher here at Central Church of Christ, I have questions too. I guarantee our elders have questions as well, and that other folks on the leadership team do, and other people that come daily to the word of God have those questions that you're probably thinking about too. So with that said, I hope you have a great Sunday. Look for that email in your inbox a little bit later today with some details about how to tune in, what time, and just feel free to shoot, shoot me a reply and ask the question. If you want to keep it anonymous, that's totally fine. Nevertheless, I hope you guys have a great Sunday, and thanks again for sticking with this. Blessings, everybody.